Good morning, everybody. My name is Greg Fondell, and it's a privilege to be with you once again. Uh, always uh, a, a wonderful time to be together to worship here at Restoration. Uh, let's uh, bow for just a word of prayer first. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. There are very few things that excite and enliven us like growth. We are made to grow. We love to be around growth. We plant gardens. We walk in the woods. We wait for springtime's first blade of grass. You think about the excitement of parents when their child says his or her first word. Yesterday, she could only cry and gurgle, and today she has joined the ranks of the talkers. Think of the excitement of the leaders of a company that's expanding, that's achieving its mission, that's affording vocational opportunities to men and women. You think of the excitement of a 16-year-old who just got his driver's license. Yesterday, he was a pedestrian. Today, he's a danger to everyone else on the road. That's growth. That's exciting. On the other hand, there are a few things that are sadder than stagnation. We don't like it much, do we? How many of you are planning a vacation to a condo on the shore of the Dead Sea? You think about a marriage that was entered into with such hope, but it plateaued and affections cooled and dreams faded. You see a middle-aged man who spends his evenings in front of the TV. And there was a time in his life when he was all fired up with bright hopes for the future, strong yearnings to make a mark on the world. But somewhere along the way, he settled for comfort. And his dreams were sacrificed in favor of a doze on the couch and some flickering images on a screen. And he will go to his grave with his best music unplayed. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus tells us, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. We all face a fork in the road, and one way leads to growth, and it leads to the development of our God-given gifts, and it means reaching new levels of spiritual maturity and a life of service to God and the world, and there's nothing else like it. And you think about the people who live on the cutting edge of growth. You think of someone who used to explode in anger, who's now learning to manage it well and wisely. You think about a timid person who's learning to speak up assertively. You think of someone who never used to be able to express tender feelings, who's learning to say, I love you. You think of a new Christian who's discovering and deploying their spiritual gift You think of someone in recovery from addiction who's taking new steps 
into a life of freedom. There is no joy like a life of growth. And that's a road that we can take. The other road leads to stagnation. Unrealized potential, unfulfilled longings, sinful patterns of behavior that never get confronted or challenged, abilities and gifts that never are identified or cultivated. And nobody really plans to choose that road. They just drift toward it as weeks become months and months become years. And too late, they find themselves looking back on a life that never was, on deep, intimate conversations that never took place, on great, bold prayers that were never prayed, on exhilarating, God-driven adventures that were never taken, on sacrificial gifts to a needy world that were never offered. And one day we find ourselves sitting on the sofa with shriveled souls and abandoned dreams and we realize that there was a whole world brimming with amazing opportunities and a great God who called us to be part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And we are aware of the people that we could have been, but did not become. When we stood at the fork in the road, we just drifted the wrong way. Who doesn't want to grow? Who among us wants to come to the end of our days and look back on a lifetime of stagnation and a mountain of regret? I'm betting that everybody here would want to say, you know, I'd choose the path that leads to growth. I want to take the path that will honor God, that will stretch my soul, that will develop my character, that will serve the world. And I know this for sure, that that is the road that God would have us walk. Language about growth is woven all through Scripture. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus 4.15, he said, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. We are designed to grow in every way according to the life and the teachings of Jesus. So if growth is wonderful and stagnation is tragedy, and we all want to grow and God wants us to grow, then how come? We're not a world full of people who are packages of progress and positive change. How come our minds aren't getting keener and sharper as we're immersed in God's truth as expressed in his word? How come our gifts aren't getting more polished and effective as the rough edges are being smoothed away by constant use? How come our sinful habits aren't being defeated and set aside as the Spirit takes hold of us more and more? How come we aren't people, and particularly Christ followers, who are experiencing life-changing growth every day? You know why? Because growth is very costly. Because growing is usually hard work. 
and it's often painful. Growth of any kind requires intentionality and persistence. Whether it's practicing scales on a keyboard when you'd rather relax, hitting the books when you'd rather play, engaging in a hard conversation that you'd rather avoid, or meditating on scripture when you'd rather watch TV. Growth is a costly decision. The fork in the road usually requires a real hard choice between growth and comfort. For most of us, that's a tough spot because we live in a world that places a very high value on comfort. We will pay a lot of money for a little comfort, won't we? We'll buy cars that are covered in rich Corinthian leather because it's more comfortable. We eat comfort foods. About 70 years ago, one of the great growth avoidance devices was invented, television. Finally, people had something to sit in front of so that they didn't have to think and have conversations. But in the early days of TV, people still had to get up out of their seats and walk all the way over to the set to control the volume or change the channel or adjust the picture, and it was exhausting. <laughs> but then came this extraordinary scientific breakthrough, the invention of the remote control. At last, humankind could change the channels from their lazy boy recliners just as God always intended. <laughs> if you want to see how devoted we are to comfort, try walking into somebody's house and hiding the remote control. <laughs> and you just watch what happens. Life without the clicker creates a crisis for the American family. So much so that there are now televisions equipped to help you find your lost remote control. And what's a little scary for me is the thought that for some of you, the only thing you're going to take away from this message is, I've got to get me one of those TVs. <laughs> Life is about so much more than the pursuit of comfort. In our society, perhaps the broad road of comfort presents the most dangerous temptation that we'll ever face. The truth is that you can follow the road of comfort all the way to the grave. Today, as we stand at the fork in the road, let's ask ourselves the question, where is God calling me to grow? And how am I responding to that call? I'd like to share with you two areas where I think God is calling me to grow. The first area concerns my openness to hear the truth about myself. I got a phone call a while ago from a person who had a few questions about some things that I had said in a conversation that we had had a few weeks earlier. And my reflexive response was to get defensive and to bend over backwards to justify what I had said. What didn't occur to me until long after that phone call was that I really hadn't listened to what he was trying to tell me. 
I didn't even consider the possibility that God might have been using this person to teach me something important about myself. And that's kind of a pattern with me. I've done the same thing in other friendships. I've done it in my marriage. I do it with God. It's hard for me to look objectively at the truth about myself. As long as the truth about, it is, about me is positive, I'm real open to it. But I don't seek out and embrace truth that is critical or corrective. And that's the truth that I need most to hear. Too often I want hard truth softened and vague. How about you? Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. There are people in our lives who will tell us only what we want to hear. But they are in fact our enemies because they will keep us from knowing the truth. The Bible is telling us that a true friend will say the hard things we don't always want to hear, wounding us temporarily and necessarily. But when the wounds heal, we'll come away stronger. Do you have any friends who care for you in that way? Are you open to hard truth that they will share with you? There's this very poignant and powerful expression of this in Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. Judas was there for the final time as one of Christ's inner circle. And only he and, Judas, and Jesus knew what was about to happen later that evening. And Jesus said something that was intended only for him. Matthew 6, 26, 21, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. And as you might imagine, all of the disciples were distressed to hear this. And one by one, they all began to say, surely not I, Lord. It isn't me, is it? Until all 11 had said it, and there was only Judas left. And Jesus looked him right in the eye. And Jesus was being bluntly truthful, but still very gentle. He was giving Judas one last chance. It still wasn't too late for him to turn from this act of betrayal. Judas still could have faced the truth about himself. All could be still set right, or Judas could hide from the truth and slip away into the darkness and betray the truest friend he ever had. And Judas stood at the fork in the road, and then his heart hardened, and he said, surely not I, Lord. And then he disappeared into the night. Eventually, in utter despair, Judas took his own life because he refused to allow Jesus to speak truth into his I dare to say that some of us here have been refusing to hear the truth about ourselves. There is a struggle with sin that we know, but we haven't acknowledged it before God. There's a behavior or an attitude or maybe a relationship where we have been defiant toward God, and now the truth is being spoken. 
What are you going to do? Are you going to listen or are you going to ignore it? Trying to be more open about the truth about myself. And there are a few people that I've asked to be truth tellers to me. And I've asked them to love me enough to tell me the truth even if it's hard and even if I don't handle it well. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Like David, have you prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a prayer that I'm praying these days. That's a fork in the road where I'm standing. First area of growth involves being open to the truth about myself. The second involves taking the next step by saying, I'm going to take responsibility for I, because I don't want to drift anymore. I have this weird tendency when it comes to problems. I hope that they are going to just solve themselves. And they're just going to go away. And as funny as it seems, that rarely happens. The human capacity to evade responsibility goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve had disobeyed him, God asked Adam, did you eat the forbidden fruit? Do you remember how Adam responded? It was this woman you gave me. It was her fault. People are geniuses at evading responsibility, but sooner or later, we come to that fork in the road. Classic biblical example of this was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. In Jesus' day, tax collectors were universally despised because they were universally dishonest. There's a first century account of one city that erected a statue to an honest tax collector because that was such a rare thing. The Jews particularly hated the tax collectors because they were usually in cahoots with their Roman oppressors. Zacchaeus's life had been built upon greed and extortion and hostility toward his own people. But Zacchaeus heard about a rabbi named Jesus and he had this unusual reputation. He actually went to parties with tax collectors and with other disreputable people. And Zacchaeus was intrigued by this character, so he went to get a look at Jesus, but from a distance. He climbed into a tree, perhaps to see him better or perhaps to hide from the crowd that hated him. But then the strangest thing happened. Jesus walked right up to that tree, and he called to him. And in that moment, Zacchaeus found himself not just sitting in the fork in a tree, but standing at the fork in a road. Would he own up to his greed and his corruption, acknowledge his sin and, his, and repent, or would he go back into hiding? Zacchaeus made the right choice. He chose to grow when he said to Jesus, I'll pay back anyone I've cheated four times what I owe them, and I'm going to sell half of everything that I have and give the money to the poor. 
Zacchaeus didn't have to do that. He could have chosen the easier road, comfort and status quo. Instead, he chose to grow a generous heart that day. Can't you imagine Zacchaeus coming to the end of his life and looking back and saying to himself, I am so glad that when Jesus called out to me that I took the road I did. I think about what might have happened if I would have kept on going down that other road, piling up as much money as I could, betraying my own people through greed and corruption. I might have ended up a man with great wealth, but without a soul. I'm so glad I was able to admit all that I had done wrong. I'm so glad that I gave all that stuff away. I'm so glad I took responsibility for my own heart. I'm so glad I followed Jesus. One of the areas where I need to take greater responsibility as I stand at this fork in the road has to do with how I live to please people. Too often I craft what I'm going to say. Too often I'll tell people what they want to hear. Too often I'll try to manage the impression I want others to have of me. Too often I'm driven to the pursuit of other people's praise. I'll try to convince them that I'm much more clever and much more competent than I am. And I know a whole lot more than I do. I'll hold back from telling the full truth that I need to tell by pulling punches or softening words that should be direct and clear. And then I'll rationalize it by saying that I wanted to spare the other person's feelings when it was really more about making things easier for me. I've come to a fork in the road where I have to make a choice because this is a problem for me. And it has been for a long time. And it's my responsibility and it's not just going to go away. I need to acknowledge it to God. I need to talk to people who are close to me about it. I need to monitor this approval addiction. And I need to confess it often. I don't know what it is that you need to take responsibility for. But please hear this. This is your one and only life. And your problems, your flaws, your sins are not going to just go away by themselves. You can choose to close your eyes to them or you can fall upon your knees before God and you can say, I'm going to take full responsibility for an area of my life where I need to grow and change with your help. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back at a mountain of regret. I don't want to go to my grave with a sullen heart or a greedy heart or a resentful heart or a deceitful heart. When you get to the end of your life, what do you want to look back on? Now, you might be able to look back on a life of comfort and ease, You can consistently choose the path of least resistance between now and then, avoid hard truth, 
abdicate responsibility, take the easy, broad road, accumulate a lot of stuff, climb the ladder of success as high as you can get, you can choose to do just that. Or you can choose to go another way. Someday, maybe today, tomorrow, maybe in many years, you can stand together with God and you can look back over your life and you can say, you know, I didn't do it perfectly. But I did the best I could with the help of your spirit. I am so glad that I chose this great adventure of growing up into Jesus Christ. The poet Robert, Robert Frost said it so well. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Wanting to travel both and be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as fair and having perhaps a better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I. I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. It's your fork. It's your choice. Please pray with me. God, you know the fate of human hearts sometimes rests on choices that are very subtle and serious. So God, open our eyes. Let's see the forks in the road clearly. Help us, Lord, to choose wisely, courageously, not to drift down the path of least resistance, but to take the narrow road, the road less traveled the road that brings us to you. Let it be so. In the name of Jesus, amen.